I don't love all the work. I love meeting the next version of me. I love more self-discovery. I love expanding my being. I'm addicted to the expansion of me. You know, we're both baseball guys. And I remember making literally 1,200 bucks a month. That made me who I am today. When you're built in comfort, yeah. You don't really flex your muscles and grow and all that. When most people get a little bit of being somebody, they lose that wanting to be the next somebody. Don't be someone who just lives unconsciously, where you just respond and react all of your life. Live as a conscious human being. Choose. How would I like to live? What emotions do I want to experience? Begin to pursue them intentionally. There's a massive power in your life of just intentional pursuit of something. Intentional pursuit of a goal, intentional pursuit of an outcome, intentional pursuit of a business, and also intentional pursuit of our emotions. When you see a really rich family or a really happy family, just remember this. Somewhere back in their lineage, they weren't rich or they weren't happy until one thing happens. The one shows up. In my freaking family, I'm the one. I took all the late nights, all the hits, all the stress, all the worry. I'm the one who grew. I'm the one who went to the events. I'm the one who read the books. I'm the one who did the meeting after the meeting, after the meeting, after the meeting, after the meeting, after the meeting. I'm the one who did all that stuff. I'm the one who worked on myself. And now you know what? I do have a rich family and I do have a happy family. And if you're listening to this, maybe you were born to be the one. What's up, Wealth Builders? Today, I'm obviously not in the studio. I'm actually at a very big person's house out here in Laguna Beach. I've got none other than Ed Milet with his dog, Rose. What's up, man? Great to have you here. Thanks yeah. for coming to the house. I appreciate that. I don't know how long Rose will last, but we'll give it a shot with her here too. Yeah. No, it's a beautiful home, man. Thank you. I think you you might be selling it soon. You moving? Yeah. You moving? I think I'm going to Florida. Yeah. Yeah. Have you announced that? I have not announced that. Okay. So that's breaking news. <laughs> why, why are you leaving Cali? Uh... It, it, taxes is number one. Yeah. Uh, but two, it's changing here a little bit. I love California. I think it's the most beautiful state, but it's changing a little bit. You know, growing problems here. Doesn't seem like it's getting any better much faster. And I've done it. I've lived here most of my life. I think I want a new experience, new place. And I've always loved Florida. And uh, so I'm excited about going, man. I'm, I'm going to miss it here, but, you know, I'll yeah. make friends there too. What? Why not Vegas? I looked there, as you know, and I really, really liked it. There's one particular club that I've looked at that you know about that yeah. I... I really loved. I think probably more than anything, it's keeping the ocean in my backyard. Yeah. I want to keep the ocean there. I've got that island I have off the coast of Portland, Maine. There's ocean there. Something about when I was young, when I pictured getting wealthy, I lived on the ocean. Because mm. my wife and I, when we were little, I lived in the, not the hood, but I lived in inland here. But we would come down to these beaches when <laughs> I was Inland a kid. Empire? Inland Empire. I, 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 yep. the 909. <laughs> And, I remember uh, I played minor league ball there. I, so, you know, yep, yep. it's the best. It's the best. The so, 66ers. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I know exactly where you were. Yep. So I would come down here on weekends and stuff with my then girlfriend and say, hey, someday I'm going to get us a beach house. Someday, mm -hmm. someday. And that girlfriend ended up becoming my wife. Nice. And uh, so it's just been always a dream to live by the water. Something about it. I don't know for me, like my blood pressure drops here near the water. Right. You know, I just feel better. So I love the desert. I've got a desert house already, but. Vegas was next on my list. You living in a good spot. Yeah. No, I love Vegas. It just seems like all the SoCal guys yep. inevitably moved to Vegas. So, yeah, Florida would be the other one. Well, some the, moved to Texas. The cool part about Vegas is you can get back to LA quickly. It's easy. Like you drove here today because yep. there's some weather issues, right? So yeah. that's the one thing. It's proximity to everything else. You can fly everywhere out of Vegas too. If you don't fly private, if you fly commercial, you can get everywhere. Yeah. Just uh, I got to stay by the water. Yeah. No, I don't blame you, man. You know, what's interesting to me. I mean, and, and we'll get into your story and just mm -hmm. all the crazy things you've done, but like you've used a business and insurance mm -hmm. to then like buy a lot of real estate. Mm -hmm. You know, you were telling me you own three beach houses over here, yeah. you know, that are going to make you nine figures. Mm -hmm. Then you, you got the island you just mentioned in Maine that mm -hmm. 
you know, it's going to be a nine figure development. Mm -hmm. Is real estate something like, is that where you're putting the majority of your money? Yeah, really. Um, so the way I tried to build my life was I wanted to build cash flow machines that I could pump into real estate. Okay. And then ultimately real estate would become that cash flow machine. So I've always loved real estate. In fact, way before business, like the first personal development seminars I went to, I went to like Robert Allen's How to Buy Real Estate Nothing Down yeah. when I was in college. And I bought my first property in college. Oh, wow. And then uh, online, there was this dude named Carlton Sheets yep. that had this program. And so I was already early in my life consuming content. And that was like the liaison into personal development. Because at those meetings, they're like, well, you're never going to outgrow your identity. I'm like, what's an identity? And so that's <laughs> when I learned about Tony Robbins and all the things ultimately that I ended up being, you know, kind of a dominant force in was because of real estate. So I love the deal. I love negotiating. I love the remodel. I love the development of real estate. I love the ownership. Every part of real estate has just always been a passion of mine. Yeah. No, I think too, with what you're doing in real estate, it's like you're buying all these trophy properties mm -hmm. that are just like, that's what makes real estate fun. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it's cool to you know, I started my career flipping houses mm -hmm. and, you know, that's how I built my wealth early on. Yes. But when I've looked at like the really wealthy people mm -hmm. like yourself, mm -hmm. you know, even like Cardone, who's buying yep. all this stuff, yep. they're buying like trophy assets. Sure. Well, A-Rod and I have talked about this. Alex Rodriguez yep. and I have talked about it. One of the things that Buffett told him early on is if you're going to buy real estate, try to buy, you know, trophy assets if you can. That's easy to say once you have some money. Yeah. But everything I've always done, I've tried to find stuff that was niche, that was unique, that I thought there would always be a market for. So like they're not making any more oceanfront real estate, right? So long-term, I saw a post you made the other day. I'm watching your stuff lately. And you were talking about just in general, if you could buy a house a year for 20 years, yeah. that you're probably going to end up pretty wealthy. And the simple approaches to real estate, the cool thing about real estate overall, it's a level playing field to some extent that anybody can get involved in that business. And if they stay in it for 15 or 20 years, there's a high probability you're going to have some favorable results because you're going to ride out all the market stuff. And so, yeah, the trophy assets now, I, I love buying stuff that everybody that has a lot of money wants. Yeah. And, you know, obviously this is one of them, this beach, access to the beach. I look at those things now and I kind of now, after all these years, sort of have a pretty good eye of what I think is going to appreciate, which is I want stuff that's almost market insulated now. Yeah. I'm not going to try to forecast whether we're in a recession or not when I'm buying my real estate, mm -hmm. not my residential real estate anymore. So this house, it'll be okay if the someone will want this place no matter what. Yeah. No I mean, it's at that in. level of wealth where it's like those people are unaffected. They're not financing anything. Yeah. This is all cash. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that you're going into that as your real estate strategy, which I think is amazing. And, you know, tell me about the island. You bought yeah. an island. Bought an island off the, I've always, a couple things. One, I've always, my dream was always to own an island. I don't know why, just <laughs> seeing Richard Branson or whoever's like, I want to own an island someday. And then I'm also from New England originally. So I was born in Weymouth, Massachusetts. So I'm a mm. Boston dude. So the combination of both approached me and I've wanted to develop something. I've always wanted to build my own golf course. Yeah, It's sort of this one thing, like at this stage of my life, I wanted to do something that's like, Oh, wow. Yeah. And I wanted to see if I could maybe develop the best property in the United States. Yep. And I think I'm doing that. Once it's done, I'll sort of reveal it online. But it's like a dream fulfilled. I will tell you, like most dreams, it's more expensive <laughs> than what you originally think, like uh, a lot more expensive than you think. But uh, it's one of those things where when I boat up to it, literally, brother, like every single time I just go, I, I can't freaking believe this. Mm. Like I legit cannot believe I own this place. Yeah. And even this morning, like Mondays are our planning calls with the contractor and the amount of, and I'm paying cash. 
crazy. So, I mean, everything I wrote cash for the island, I'm writing cash for all the construction. It sort of trips people out. Even the contracts, like, so when I, they gave me the bid originally, it was a lot, you yeah. know, like lots of lots. And they're like, so how are you financing? I was like, I'm not financing anything. I'm writing you checks. Why don't you finance anything? This is an interesting topic. Yeah. So first off, the Bible says, oh, no man, nothing. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some validity to that book. Yep. In my life, it has the most validity, right? Yep. I have, I think you need to know the type of entrepreneur you are. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not a risk tolerant entrepreneur. So someone like Grant, who's been on your show before, he doesn't have any problem carrying a bunch of debt. He knows his emotional makeup. Yeah. I do. I worry about it. I yeah. stress about it. So by the way, I think leveraging debt on appreciating assets is a brilliant strategy. Mm-hmm. And I might even be wealthier if I had done more. Now I have done quite a bit of it. Okay. But in my personal business life, so not an apartment building, not something that's going to generate income, then I want to be able to make sure I can write a check for it if I'm going to buy it anymore. Right. In my wealth accumulation part of my life, I will use debt Got it. to grow wealth. And so I think that's a good rule of thumb to go long-term in your life. Like if you're going to buy something in your personal life that's, you know, you're not using to build wealth necessarily as its primary reason, you ought to be able to write a check for it or I wouldn't do it yet. Right. In your business building life, you know, your wealth accumulation life, your residential, your commercial real estate, your, your apartment building stuff, then you should use debt, especially the rates are still low. People say, oh, rates are so high now. <laughs> well, I've been around when rates were 18%. <laughs> rates yeah. are still really inexpensive. Money is still pretty cheap as of the time we're recording this. So leveraging in that way on an appreciating asset is really, really smart. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, what's funny is, you know, I interviewed Patrick, but David, mm-hmm. um, who you guys started in business and mm-hmm. the same company, everything. He's we'll done get, wonderful for himself. Yeah. And we'll do, we'll talk about the insurance biz later, mm-hmm. but you know, one thing uh, I interviewed him about a year ago and he mm-hmm. was super like pessimistic about mm-hmm. the real estate market. He's like, it's going to crash all mm-hmm. this stuff. And I was like, Patrick, it's not, there's mm-hmm. no way. Mm-hmm. I was like, there's no inventory. People mm-hmm. are going to hold to their rates. They got mm-hmm. 3% interest. They're not selling. Mm-hmm. And it turned out, you know, that's what happened in the single family space. Yeah. So far. Um, yeah. But one thing that was clear to me was he's an insurance guy. Like he's very, he's just by nature going to be risk averse. Mm -hmm. And then you being an insurance guy as well saying, Hey, you know, I just, I don't have that risk profile. Do you think that that draws you to the industry? That's interesting. I don't, I don't think so. Actually, I don't think there's a correlation there. And by the way, like I've had a lot of very smart people on my show, you know, Tony Robbins included who said, Hey, it might be an eight year winter. Yeah. And maybe it still could be. I don't know. I think I'm just, uh, my dad was a banker. Okay. And so I think that's why my risk tolerance is the way that it is. I'd always hear stories from my dad of guys who were rich that went broke. Yeah. And I'm afraid of being broke still, no matter mm-hmm. how much money I've ever accumulated. I think that's healthy. Yeah. So I, uh, I don't think it's the insurance thing. I actually think it's just like my temperament is I'm a worrier. Yeah. I, I, uh, I have this deep obligation to keep my word and pay my bills. And yeah. when I had gone broke a couple of times, the idea of not paying somebody I owed money to just, oh my gosh, man, just crushed me. So I just kind of know the stage of my life, man, like I'm using debt like crazy to build my wealth, but in my private life, you're not going to take my homes from me. Right. And I also, yeah, man, you're young, but those little babies of yours, you just had one last week. Yeah. When they get older, you start thinking about what you're going to leave them. Right. And I don't want to leave them debt. I want to leave them assets and wealth and not a burden to pay bills on residential real estate that Mm -hmm. I have. Now, if they're going to pay bills on apartment buildings, that's great. Those cash flow. Yeah. But if they're going to pay it on some house I've got, heck no, I want to be able to pay those things off for them. Entrepreneurs, if you want to grow your business, there is no better investment than your own personal brand. The smartest thing I ever did 
was start creating content and investing into my brand. Ever since then, we've been able to triple our business. I've been able to raise more money than ever to continue buying more real estate. And it's all because I create content just like this. Now, a lot of people have asked me, Ryan, how am I supposed to do it? I don't know where to start. I don't know who's going to edit it. I don't know even what kind of setup or camera or anything to do. Well, here's the thing. We can help you with all of that at Pineda Media. We have a podcast checklist that you can actually get for free at PinedaMedia.com that's going to go over everything you need on starting a podcast. But to make matters even better, we'll actually edit your podcast for you. We'll repurpose it into short form clips like you see on my Instagram and my TikTok so that people will start seeing those clips and watching your podcast and in turn being customers or investors in your business. So if you want the one-stop solution where you can get everything done for you, plus get the education you need to grow your personal brand, then you need to go to PinedaMedia.com and book a free call with our team. You can also go get that free podcast checklist and that training program absolutely free by just going there. So go check it out. Speaking of kids, I think this is a good topic. Um, you know, I, I just had a third kid. Congratulations. Thank you. My, my kids are young. They're under five right now. Mm -hmm. But one thing I've been thinking about is how do you handle wealth to them, right? Yeah. Because how do you build character and, mm -hmm. you know, adversity and perseverance and all those things yep. if like they don't grow up the way we had to grow up? Bro, number one hard thing as a parent. So I just did, I did a lot of posts about this lately. I, here's why it's such a big deal to me. I almost know, like if I'm on a golf course, I don't know if you do this yet, but I made a rich dude. I almost can tell within 20 minutes of whether they made it themselves oh, or whether you know what I mean? there's a there's yeah. a softness to someone who inherited their money or a lack of grit or something i kind of look down on them and i know i shouldn't me too and i don't know why i do because yeah. my kids are, are that way and it's not their fault they were born where they were born right, right. i do too and i've really tried to guard myself like this guy you know because <laughs> i made my money yeah you know so um what i have done i remember very vividly brother my daughter came out of like second grade and she gets in the car and my son was in the back she goes daddy are we rich? I went, what, sweetheart? What do you, what do you mean? She goes, Every, all the kids at school are saying that we're rich. And I said, well, I don't know. How much money do you have? She goes, I have like $6. I go, well, you're definitely not rich, sweetheart. I don't know if daddy is, but you don't have any money. She goes, okay. And all their lives, I've tried to, a couple things. One, I, they've seen me work still. Yeah. So I'm still in the building phase of my life. So they've attached hard work with making money. Right. They see 18 hour days. They see my travel. In fact, if you asked my kids, I've had them on my podcast. I've had both my kids on my podcast. And I, one thing I'm proud of, I'm not a perfect dad by any means. I've screwed up a lot of things as a dad. But if you said to my children, who is the hardest working human being you have ever met in your entire life? They would say my dad. Mm. So they've correlated work with getting it. That's number one. Number two, I constantly remind them that someone's value is not attached to their net worth, that we're no better than anybody else or anything like that, that we're fortunate that we have what we have. And then the other thing is I've made it really clear to them, man, they got to get their own. Yeah. So both of them had jobs, both of them bought their own cars. Mm. Um, I fly private. They flew private with me right now. I don't have a jet. This me sounds really bad, but like I fly in first class, they sit in the back of the airplane <laughs> and I have videos of them walking to the back of the airplane. They get it. Yeah. I'm proud of the fact that neither one of my kids lead with their money. In fact, my daughter, we live here on the beach. My daughter, I go, babe, where are you going? She goes, I'm going to the beach. I go, go here. She goes, I don't want to know we live here, daddy. She would meet kids at other beaches. Mm. And so neither one of them are attached their value or worth to it. Same time, my son has told me, he goes, dad, I need to be rich. And I'm like, why? And he goes, well, look how I grew up, man. If I have a life where I can't get access to things and do things and help people and do cool things, man, I'll feel like I haven't won in life. And I'm like, Max, I just want you to find something you're freaking great at 
that fills your heart that you love doing it. But if it'll produce a bunch of wealth, that's a bonus. You should do it too. Right, right. So I've just made them really understand that there's a work to it, that there's not value to you as a person because you've got more cheddar. And then I've made them earn their own stuff. Yeah. Really, really aggressive about that. Like I'm intense about it. Yeah. No, I love that. So, I mean, right now, obviously they're, they're in their earning phase. They're yep. learning, they're doing all these things. How does it work? You know, once you're gone, you know, mm-hmm. how does it work with, I guess, helping them out at least somewhat, right? Cause mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys went on all the amazing vacations sure. and all those things. Um, but I see your point of like, Hey, you're going to get your own job and you're going to yeah. go build your own thing. Yeah. I don't want to take from them the part of life that matters the most, which is the chase, which is the pursuit, which is the journey, which is the worry, which is the hunger, which is the late nights, which is the anxiety. I don't want to cheat them. My, my, well, my adult rich friends, like the really rich ones, their biggest problem in their life, if they have one is their screwed up adult children yeah. whom they raised with too much comfort. There's something to needing to want to prove yourself to, to, to struggle yeah, that matters. And so what you can do, which I'm in the process of redoing is my trust is worked in such a way that they will get access to some of my wealth, but it's staged over time. Mm-hmm. One thing I do want them to have in their life that I've worked hard for is I want both of my children to have a safe, stable home mm-hmm. that they can raise my grandbabies in someday when they have them. So I am going to make sure they have that. Yeah. Um, beyond that, it's going to trickle out over time. And yeah. they're not going to get a bunch of it. The worst thing I could ever do is give them each a hundred million bucks. <laughs> Just give them this massive windfall. Yeah, no way, man. No yeah. way will I do that to my kids. And I don't think they want it at this stage based on the way they were raised. So there's a way that you can write your trust that dictates when and how and where they get money and also things they have to achieve in order to get the money. Mm. And so mine is beginning to be rewritten that way. I like that. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. No, that's awesome. So, you know, speaking of of grinding and like, all the adversity while while you were talking, it was making me think like for me, you know, we're both baseball guys. Yeah. And so I just remember I played eight years in the minors and, you know, independent baseball and everything. And I remember literally taking hundreds of bus rides, staying in motels and making literally 1200 bucks a month doing that. And I'm like, that made me who I am today Yeah. where I'm like, dude, I'll go sit and coach. I don't really care. Who cares? Coach is great compared to what I was doing. Yep. And so it's just like when you're built in comfort, you don't really flex your muscles and grow and all that. I'm going to tell you something. This sounds weird. I'm not comfortable in comfort to this day. Yeah. I'm comfortable in discomfort. I'm, I still have a hard time being comfortable. Like if we go on vacation, man, I'm, it takes me three or four days before I even unwind. And then maybe I got one or two good days and then I feel like shit, I need to get back to work. And then, so I'm not, I've just sort of, I'm 52. I get me now. Yeah, I had this illusion or delusion that I'd be a dude who could sit on a beach all day. No, and that's what I would do. I just can't. Like, I just I love work. I love my work is my sport. It's my hobby. I wasn't as good as you, so I didn't have eight years <laughs> of minor league ball. I got a little brief taste. I was I got relieved of my duties early on, but I I love how I feel when I end a day that I busted my ass and good stuff happened. Yeah. I don't like how I feel. That doesn't mean, man, look, I've had plenty of trips to Cabo where I've had a lot of tequila and a lot of golf and I didn't do a lot of work. I have done that, but I find my tolerance level for doing it is much shorter. Like I'll go two, three days. I'm ready to get back. I'm going to tell you something crazy. I'm 52. I can go anywhere in the world I want to. I have never been on a vacation longer than a week. And on that one week vacation, I have never not worked some of the days. Right. So like, okay, this is going to trip people out. Like, I've never been to Europe. Mm. 
I haven't either. I haven't been. And to be honest with you, I had a bunch of trips scheduled and I canceled them when I was younger because stuff at work came up and I don't really feel like I missed anything to be really honest with <laughs> we, you. We have a lot of commonality because yeah. we go to Cabo all the time. Mm-hmm. So I love going there. Why do you love to go? Because you can get there in a couple hours. Yeah, where it's, we live. it's the easiest exactly. freaking trip ever. Exactly. It was the only place open during COVID. Yeah. It was great. Yep. So I went to Cabo. I go to Cabo a few times a year. Me too. And, you know, I'm going there because I like sitting on the beach for a few days. Yes. I like the service, the food, the weather. Everything's great. But I've never been to Europe for your because like I don't want to walk the streets and like, I don't know, see history. I don't I, care. Yeah. To be honest with you, I'm not a sightseer. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I, I God, I'm going to get a lot of hate. On. I just don't care. Like, <laughs> I, I don't want to fly 12 or 15 hours yep. when I can just fly. Like I got, I'm doing a speaking tour in I think it's Dubai in October. Number one thing, I'm like, oh, flight over. Yeah. You know, and then I'm going there. For, it's a good example. My team's planning the tub. They're like, well, you talk on this day. And I'm like, okay, so it's a day change. I go, get me in there. Get me to do the talk. They're like, no, it's like 20 hours of flying. I go, I don't care. I don't, I'm not, I don't want to see it. I want to get back. <laughs> I, I live on vacation. Yeah. So the biggest thing I would say to someone who's relating to what I'm saying or wonders, I've built homes where I want to actually vacation and live. Yeah. So my vacation is five o'clock tonight. When you're gone, I'll be smoking a cigar out there on my balcony with a nice 1942 in the glass. And I'm on damn vacation. Yeah. I live oceanfront, man. I got an island. I I, I don't need to go to your version of vacation. And sometimes I go to Cabo, even Cabo. I'm like, I just left there. It's right there. Yeah. That's Cabo. It's a little warmer. Like what's better there is like the food's better. Like the service is better. It's just different. That's and it. you should change your place yeah. so it recharges you to get back. And I don't want to steal the dream from people that want to be like travel the world. That's a, I don't even like packing when I travel. Like yeah. I just, my stuff's in my closet, man. I just go grab my shorts and go down to the beach. Like, yeah. so I actually did this early on. I went to a seminar, a guy spoke, I'll never forget this. And he's like, I live on vacation. I go, that's the version I want. I don't yeah. need packing bags. Here's the other thing, like no one's going to relate to this, but like I'm introverted. I like it quiet. I don't even like hotels. Yeah. To be honest with you, I don't like the noise other people make. I'm like, I like being in my damn house. I worked real hard to get this house here and to get the other houses. So like I, and I just, something in my body goes, let's get back and accomplish something. Let's expand. Let's do something. I almost feel like I'm wasting away when I'm on vacation. Maybe that'll change when I'm 70. I don't know. But like, I thought by the time I was 50. Yeah. I'll be like, this will be out of my system. It's just not. I love, I don't love all the work. Yeah. I love meeting the next version of me. Mm. I love more self-discovery. I love expanding my being. Like I, I'm addicted to that. My, I'm not a big drinker. I probably smoke too many cigars, but like I'm addicted to the expansion of me. Yeah. Of my soul, of my spirit, of my being, of trying to understand myself and God and life and human beings better and make a bigger impact. And you know, like that's my addiction. Yeah. No, I love, I've never heard that. I I like to live on vacation. Like that's, I do. I live on vacation. And you see that, like, I don't have, you know, $30 million plus house. You're well on your way. You're ahead of where I was. Mm. Yeah. Well, with me, even at the current stage, you Mm -hmm. know, a house that's a 10% of this, right? I'm sure it's more than that. I, I don't like to go leave that because we have everything like nice. it's a great house. Yes. And so if I'm going to go stay at a hotel, I'm like this, 
has to be an upgrade correct over what i have over here because why would i go yes so it's it's, that's basically your point one thing that's changed me the last five years i have become a little bit snooty and like when i travel where i stay so it used to be like i tell myself get me a good deal on something yeah even when i was rich i was like give me a good deal yeah and then a couple of those deals weren't really good deals you know (laughs) once i got there so now when i do travel i go what's the best place yeah i want to stay at the best place with the best service yeah no i'm with you and i've i've learned to value service as like my experiences have grown because before i mean look i grew up poor as a minor league baseball player Mm. so like even eating chipotle was like a sacrifice yes like dude man i either make rice and chicken and it cost me two bucks or i eat chipotle it's five times that was the decision top ramen days too yeah and you know i remember the moment i didn't have to worry about paying for chipotle anymore it Mm. was like wow this is crazy and then you start to you know try new things and then we started going out to dinner for a hundred bucks and you're like, wow, this is crazy. Yes. Then, then you go to a $500 dinner with your wife and you're like, dude, this is, I understand why people pay so much for the, this. It's not that the food is just so much crazy. It's the service. It's the ambiance. It's all of those things. Bro, you're, it's so funny that you say this. I've never said this in any interview. You're a good interviewer. I still have these moments like where I bought the Island or whatever, right? You go, did that wow you? Yeah, it did. But let me tell you, like, I still have these flashes where like, I'll be at dinner with my family. The bill's 280 bucks or whatever. And I'm like, I'm paying for this and I'm not worrying about it. Like those things I used to worry about so much Mm -hmm. or like, it's amazing to me how not simple, that's more than simple, but like those things still give me great pride and joy compared to like even the big things. Cause I had, I went so long as an entrepreneur. I can tell you how I lived, man. I had to rent an office and I was looking for a new office when I had my financial company. And I found this office building that was on the roof above a Taco Bell. And the reason I rented this building, I signed a three-year lease is I figured out I go down there and eat Taco Bell every day and I can, <laughs> and I can refill this Mountain Dew cup here every day and for not free. pay for a new soda. That's literally how my stupid brain thinks. So I tell you I'm risk adverse, but like I literally kept my office for three years because I could go get 59 cent bean burritos every single day. It wasn't good for my fitness back in the day. Yeah. But anything I could do to conserve or save money or pump more back into my business. And so now when I do go to Mastro's for dinner, yeah. it's not the best place in the world, but it's good. I'm like, I'm taking my family to dinner yep. and I'm not worried about this bill. This yep. is a great feeling. That That stuff is what made all the long nights, all the rejection, all the drives, all the dark houses where people no-showed, all the clients who changed their mind, all the critics... You'd be surprised at what made it worth it. This makes it worth it, but this more stuff like that makes yeah. it worth it to me. Like my kids went to private school, man. I was able to educate my kids the way I wanted to. Yep. That made it worth it. I took those arrows so my kids could go to a safe school where yep. there's a security guard in the front and they don't have to worry. About, like that stuff is, here's the biggest thing about making your dreams come true. And I've just stumbled into this lately. I've been talking about it more because I've had the blessing of this happening. You have these dreams you want to make happen, live on the ocean or pay off your mom's house or whatever it might be that's your dream or start your foundation, buy your Lambo, whatever your thing is. That is cool. And when you make your dreams come true, it blows your mind. What you, what no one tells you about busting your ass and making your dreams come true is all of the dreams of the people you love that you will make come true Mm. that you don't even know they have and that they don't even know they have. I'll give you a perfect example. I worked really hard many years when I didn't have kids. Little did I know when I was working till midnight, get up at four the next morning or whatever I had to go through. I was actually someday making the dreams come true of children that weren't even born yet. Mm. Same with you, man. 
when you've been bust, some of these, most of your sacrifice, a lot of it happened before these babies were even born. Yep, yep. The coolest thing about getting wealthy and making your dreams come true isn't what you think it is. It's the dreams you will make a reality for the people that you love in your life, some of which aren't even born yet, that mm. you don't even know they have. That's the secret part of becoming somebody in your life that no one tells you. You can go to any summer and go, man, it's so good to buy a Lambo. It's so <laughs> cool to have a jet. It's great to do. What they never tell you is there'll be literally millions of micro dreams of the people that you love. Some of them, some of you right now that are watching this or listening to this are working your ass off to make the dreams come true of somebody you have not even met yet in your life and may not meet for another decade. Mm. Yet you will do things for them because of what you're doing right now that you can't even imagine. Mm. That's the biggest part. Yeah. Wealth Builders, if you are trying to grow your real estate investing business, then you need to join us at Wealthy Investor. You have no idea what Wealthy Investor is. It is our coaching program and community. We have helped thousands of students worldwide grow their business. Now, it doesn't matter if you're just getting started and you're trying to get that first deal. We can help you do that. If you're trying to scale your business and go from a few deals a year to a few deals a month or even seven figures a year, we can help you do that too. In fact, last year alone, we had over 30 students do over a million dollars in revenue. And I'd love for you to be the next one. So it's pretty simple. If you're trying to grow your business and wholesale more homes or flip more homes or buy more rental properties, then you need to go to wealthyinvestor.com and book a free call with our team. It's super simple. We'll go on a strategy call with you and figure out how we can help you grow according to your needs. So all you got to do is go to wealthyinvestor.com, book the free call with the team, and we'll see you there. For me, I was never a big material guy. Mm -hmm. Like I just started buying watches two years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, like I never, I, I flew first class for the first time two years ago. Okay. And so I never cared about yep. it. And the more that I've just gone through life and, you know, bought nice things, you're mm -hmm. like, oh, I mean, the watch was cool, but mm -hmm. it, it's gone. It's After gone. you buy it, you're like, all right, whatever. The experiences is really what matters. And so, you know, I was talking to actually my team on the the drive up here. It's like, man, this drive up here is an experience, like mm -hmm. what we're doing. Um, you know, we were talking about my, my daughter had two crazy parties, you know, just like over the top that, you know, she's two, three years old. She's not mm -hmm. ever going to remember this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it's not even about her or mm -hmm. that. It's about the other kids who will yes. never get to experience something that crazy. Can I tell you one thing about your kids though? I'm going to yeah. give you some insight on this her soul remembers it mm. and her emotional imprinting remembers it. So when you're giving your kids, when they're really young like this, these blessings of these incredible experiences, although they won't remember the actual experience when they're 25 years old, there's an emotional imprinting that creates patterns where she'll go back and pursue those same emotions of joy and beauty and bliss in her life unknowingly. When you, a child is raised without those experiences and without those things with trauma or stress, they seek those out as they get older. Hmm. So these things you do for your kids, they don't have to be pool parties or money, but these emotional things that our children feel when they're young, they go seek those as patterns when they get older. So for me, when I was young, because my dad was a drinker, my emotional pattern was to worry, was to be afraid, was to be scared, was to even be angry. And so as I became an older man, even though conditions of my life changed, my emotional imprinting didn't change. Mm. I still was worried. I was still scared. I was still angry. So these things you do, those of you listening to this for your children, now that they're young, they may not remember them, but you're creating emotional imprinting where they will pursue those patterns and those experience and those people mm. in their lives that deliver them for them, as opposed to the ones that harm them and hurt them. How does somebody break free of that? Because so many people are listening. Mm -hmm. They had no control over that. Yes. That's how they were raised. Yeah. And 
you know, you got the majority of the world who's like, well, my circumstance sucked. Yes. There's nothing I can do. Yep. And then you have people who overcome it. How yep. do they do it? First is being aware of it. That's why it's so important they listen to what I just said. You just go, that explains me. Yeah. That explains me. I got it. Okay. So there's some imprinting that was done. So the first is when you, when there's an emotion or a thought and you become aware of it, it loses most of its power over you. Mm-hmm. So like for me, like I love to create chaos in my life, no matter what's going on, I got to mix in some chaos. And I used to say to people, man, I'm so good under stress and chaos. <laughs> but what started to happen was I would produce it mm. unnecessarily. And I'm like, why the hell do I do this? Cause I grew up in so much of it. And so once I was aware of it, now when I start to do it, I go, I'm doing this stupid shit again. You're just, here now, I go. you're aware every here time. Here I go. So yep. that one is the awareness. And then two is like beginning to live consciously. Don't be someone who just lives unconsciously where you just respond and react all of your life. Live as a conscious human being. Mm-hmm. Choose. How would I like to live? What emotions do I want to experience? Begin to pursue them intentionally. There's a massive power in your life of just intentional pursuit of something, intentional pursuit of a goal, intentional pursuit of an outcome, intentional pursuit of a business, and also intentional pursuit of our emotions. What do we do? We set up goals every year. You teach it, I teach it. What are the things you want to get done? I want the jet. I want 100 grand saved. I want to make 2 million. I want to scale my business by 20%. I want to get to 8% body fat, whatever these things are. We write up down every year. Do you really want those things or do you want how they will make you feel? Mm. 8% body fat, I'd be shredded. How would I feel, right? Dream relationship, how would I feel? 100 grand in the bank, million bucks in the bank, whatever it is, how would I feel? So although those are important things, how can we never get intentional about the actual feeling? Mm -hmm. What if you worked on both at the same time? Because what I found out is I've pursued the feelings and the emotions. It's been easier to produce the material things. Instead of, I did it the hard way before. I'm gonna get all the stuff and then I'll feel better. Mm -hmm. What I started to do as I got a little bit older is I want all the stuff and the things and the accomplishments and the accumulations, but I also want the feeling. So I'm going to intentionally pursue both of them. Now you're a pretty powerful human being. Right. You're aware over your crap. You pursue the emotions you want on a daily basis because we get what we most obsess over in our lives. Mm. So if they become your obsessive thoughts, you begin to get them. And I found this, man. I'm going through a relatively stressful time right now. It's sort of tripping me out a little bit. I'm actually pretty blissful right now. I've actually had a great deal of peace through this season of my life. Kind of surprising myself right now. Normally, the normal me, I don't even find peace when it's good. Yeah. I don't even find peace when I'm making millions and millions and hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. And I'm finding peace during a trying time. Mm. Ooh, this is pretty good. Maybe I've grown a little bit here. Mm. Maybe this stuff I teach actually works, (laughs) right? Maybe it works. And so- I would just tell you to become more intentional about what you want to feel and not just what you want to accumulate. Do both. Yeah. And this is also, you know, for me, one of the big reasons why I wanted to have you come speak at WealthCon. Thank you. Because you bring to the table this emotional, psychological, Mm -hmm. all these things that a lot of people don't talk about, Mm -hmm. right? Like I'll I'll come up on stage and I'll teach tactical things that I think people could do because I think very logically. Yeah, you do. And to see guys like you explain mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. we do what we do. I'm like, dude, we got to get Ed. Thank so, you. thank you. I'm you know, first there. off, I just want to say I'm, I'm appreciative that you're, you're coming to speak and can I tell you yeah. why I'm coming? Yeah. It's, a, it's you. So mm-hmm. I've been blessed, man. The last 10 years, I have an agent, but they don't book my speaking. I'm word of mouth speaking. And, um, I'm fortunate. I've I get hundreds of requests a year and I do about 80. And now I'm pretty scrutinizing about who I vet. And one of the things I try to do is I want to show up in places where I think, here's how I term it to my team. Find me people who's a stock I would buy if they were a stock. 
Mm. So, and in your case, I've watched your stuff over time. I've watched how you've handled, I've actually watched how you've grown on camera too. And if you were a stock, I'd buy you because I think you're rising. And so if I can come and sprinkle a little whatever on that and what you're doing in your community, what you're doing here on the show, I want to be able to do that because I didn't get into this space. It's happened, but I didn't mean it to. I, I, I'm i not the king. I don't mean it that way. But like, I didn't get in this space to be the king. Yeah. Or the, I wanted to be the king and queen maker. I wanted to build a platform big enough that I could say, this person's awesome too. This person, listen to this person. Almost create a space where I could elevate other people. And that's what I do on my podcast is I'm real careful of who sits in that seat because I know they're going to get millions of eyeballs and ears on them. And so when I come to speak somewhere, man, like you were the main reason that I decided to do it. And I've also just heard such good things about you from our mutual friends. And then today off camera, some personal stuff you shared with me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is one of my dudes now. I appreciate yeah, that. It's true. Yeah, no, I really do. For, God, for anyone who wants to come, it's uh, October 3rd to the 6th in Vegas. You can go to wealthcon.org and get your tickets. Actually, too, one thing that I'm also really appreciative you're doing is the dinner. Yep. that we're going to have with, uh, I think, 10 people only. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool because when you go speak to these big crowds, you know, you always leave there wishing you could have connected more personally and intimately with a small group where yep. they can ask you things and feel your spirit and you don't just get sound bites, but you're in this. Yep. And so that'll be what that dinner will be, you know, affording certain people to have and for me to have. I learn a lot of these things too, man. When I go, I get fed as much as I feed people at these events. There's mm-hmm. always an experience I have that I cherish or i get a letter afterwards or a conversation i have so i'm i'm selfish doing it for yeah me too no i'm i'm excited for that so anybody um you know we have a a new level of ticket that <laughs> was specifically because ed was willing to do that so uh i think it's 10 people only we've already sold a bunch of them so check it out come join us yeah we'd love it so to to kind of go into the entrepreneur side of things yeah. um you know i know just reading about your story and mm-hmm. seeing you speak many times with me as an attendee, by the way, you know, I, the first time I ever saw you speak was at uh, GrowthCon in 2018 in Vegas. That was my first ever entrepreneur event. Mm-hmm. And I remember they introduced you back then as like the fastest growing entrepreneur mm-hmm. online. Mm-hmm. I, like, I don't know why I remember it, but I sat there thinking, okay, what's this guy do? Mm-hmm. And you started to tell the story of, you know, how you used to be a baseball player. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, dude, I like this guy. I just literally retired. That's crazy. And I'm like, man, dude, I'm trying to think, how am I going to build my entrepreneur career? Mm. And you started to tell this story and, you know, it was like, man, dude, baseball didn't work out for him, but, Mm. you know, entrepreneurship did. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about that. What was the transition like going from an athlete to this? Really hard. Yeah. As you know, like that, I, for anybody, when your first dream ends, if it doesn't work out. That's a roller coaster. Yeah. That first dream could be your first business and it didn't work. Your first marriage or relationship. For me, all I ever wanted to be probably like he was a baseball player. Mm-hmm. I never even really considered doing anything else. I thought I'd be a baseball player who buys real estate. <laughs> yeah. But like uh, as a little boy, I mean, I was introduced as a baseball player. Eddie plays baseball. So I remember my last game. And I, I remember like slow motion. I remember the last play was a pop-up to shortstop. I was playing center field. And mm. I knew it was my last game. This was at uh, Pacific? It, no, it was after that. Okay. It was after that. But I remember running in going, this is over. All those years, all those practices, all the Little League games, all the early BP, all the stretching, all the weight room, all the hitting lessons, man, all the times in the locker room, all the bus rides, yeah, all the at-bats, you know, all the conversations at first base when there's a pitching change with the other guy, I'm, you know, it's over. Mm-hmm. My whole identity was baseball. And what I learned that lesson was my identity is not what I do. It's who I am as a man. 
But when I reflected on baseball, there were some truths I had to accept. I didn't work as hard as I could. Mm. There was another gear. And I didn't work as hard as I could because I didn't believe in myself to the extent that I needed to. I Once the level got higher, every time the level got higher, I more and more doubted myself. Do I really belong here? Am I really good enough? That guy's bigger, faster, stronger than me. They got more confidence than me. They got a better coach than me. Mm. They got better gear than me. And the truth is there was a correlation between this little, it was microscopic lack of belief. You wouldn't know if you met me, I was cocky. Yeah, I worked hard. I was a confident person. It was microscopic inside doubt. And that doubt caused me to hold back just a millimeter. You would never know it because I outworked almost everybody else. Yeah. But it wasn't what I was capable of. Mm. And if I'm being honest, that started when I went into business too. And I finally went, I'm not going to end my damn life with these microscopic doubts. No one else knows I have them, but I know I have them. Yeah. I got to work on me. I'm going to outwork every MFR ever. Yeah. When this is over, if I fail, it will not be because I got outworked. I mm-hmm. will outwork everybody. I will outgrow. I will outread. I will outprepare. Yeah. And I am going to work on me yeah. like the real me, like that microscopic doubt that's a secret that my wife didn't even know I had. Mm-hmm. I'm going to fix this mm-hmm. and I'm going to improve me. And I became addicted to improving me and being honest with myself and outworking everybody. And so my keys in business have been those things. It's like my confidence comes because I already know something, bro. When you go to bed by, you go sleepy pie, I'm still grinding. And when you get up and you're still tucked in all sweet and comfy, I'm already up getting after it. Mm. And when you're doubting yourself, I'm working on me Mm. because I know how incapable I am on my own. That's why my faith's so important. Mm -hmm. And so it just came down to like, the truth is this way I've been doing it in baseball doesn't work. I can't fake it anymore. Yeah. I can't fake it. I got to get real. And maybe because I do lack confidence, I know I got to work harder. I got to prepare more. Yeah. I have two podcasts tomorrow that I'm doing, bro. I'll spend hours preparing for each one of them. Mm. And the reason is my insecurity. Mm. My insecurity. It's like, I don't know if I'm the best interviewer in the world. So I'm going to out prepare the guy who's better than me or the lady who's better than me. And so I can honestly say, I'm proud of what I've accomplished in business because I know it's connected to hard work and I know it's been connected to my faith. And I know it's been connected to me really getting real about my lack of confidence in my belief in myself. Mm. And to this day, the number one thing I still have to work on is my belief in me. Wow. It's still that. It's still my self-confidence. You know what's crazy is, so, I mean, you said so many things that were amazing. And I definitely want to touch on faith here um, as we get into the episode. Mm. But for me, you know, I was raised being the best. And so, Mm. like, from a young age, my parents always told me, you can do whatever you want. Like they mm-hmm. were never like a lot of parents you see where it's like, get a stable thing mm-hmm. and, you know, set realistic expectations. They're like, yeah. literally, why don't you be in the hall of fame? Like do I it. Love it. And I just believed it, mm-hmm. you know, from a very young age. And so as I progressed through high school, you know, varsity as a freshman starting shortstop, mm-hmm. it just was like, it just kept growing and growing and growing. And by the time I got to college, um, you know, my mindset was always like, yo, I'm just going to keep being the best. And I'll tell you, even though like I had hyper internal confidence, um, there was still always like, you know, you have a bad game, you have a bad mm-hmm. week, you know, mm-hmm. you're like, did I lose it? Mm-hmm. Like what? Ha-? Like it was such a slippery slope sure, of confidence. And, you know, every step of the way you keep leveling up, you realize like, wow, there's some real dudes here. Mm-hmm. You know, in college, we would face, you know, they'd be telling you like, this guy's going to go in the first round. Mm-hmm. You're like, dude, this guy ain't no joke. Yep. And then, you know, I was fortunate enough to get drafted. And so, you know, I remember going to my first 
um, season, 21 years old, and all of a sudden I got Dominicans, Venezuelans, every first rounder, every best player in their high school, every best player in their college. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, dang, okay. Like, you know what's good about that though? (laughs) Yeah. That's business. Yeah. Here's the deal. You can do okay where you're at right now, but when you get to the top, you're, you're playing against some killers, man. Yeah. I got into self-help, personal development, entrepreneurship. I'm playing against some killers, man. Yeah. These guys are killers. They're working hard. This guy's like whoever that you've had on your show before, right? These Cardones, these yeah. whoever's, these Hormoz, these dudes are killers. Yeah. You got to be good, man. <laughs> you got to be good. I'm a killer. You want to, you, you're going to compete against me? Yep. You better be, you better bring a sandwich, bro. You better pack a lunch, right? Because, <laughs> and I learned that in baseball. And yeah. what happened when I got to that level in baseball, I'm like, mm, I don't know if I'm a killer like these dudes, <laughs> right? When I got here, I'm like, oh no, 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 no. Yeah. I know. Yep. I know what I know. I know what I've done. I know what I believe in and I'm going to keep growing and getting better. And when they slow down, they flinch, they get weak, they get tired. They go take two weeks in Europe. I'm keep coming. Yeah. I'm like a dripping faucet, dude. I just keep, keep yeah. going. And over time that serves me really, really well. In fact, yeah. it fires me up even talking like I'm getting pumped telling yeah. you yeah, because I want to be somebody so badly. That's not left me as I became somebody. When most people get a little bit of being somebody, they lose that wanting to be the next somebody. Mm-hmm. That's why like you see a guy win a championship belt in boxing. Great. Can you repeat? Can you repeat eight times? Can you mm-hmm. repeat 12 times? And for me, it's like, man, I'm addicted to this expansion thing. And I want it bad. And I don't know what it is. I don't know why I'm like I am. I'm just this way. Yeah. I'm just, I just accepted me, man. I, I, I want to be somebody so badly, even at this stage of my life. Yeah. I want to, I'm excited to meet me at 55. Yeah. I wonder who the heck I'll be at 55. I know it won't be the dude I'm right now at 52. That's for damn sure. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't. I keep a lot of friends who's the same dude he was five years ago. Yeah. Telling the same stories about the same jokes and the same stuff. I want somebody who's challenging me, pushing me, growing me, expanding me. And I see them doing it in their own life. There's motivational people. They're cool. There's inspirational people. That's the next level. They get you inspired. That's to be in spirit. I love those people. But my favorite people are aspirational. These are people I aspire to be like. I aspire when I'm around them to be more like them. I try to, I try, I try to be all three. Mm. I want to be a motivation, play to your motives, right? I want to be inspiring, but I also want to be aspirational that hopefully when someone's around me, they're like, there's pieces of this dude. Yeah. Pieces of them, not all of them, Mm -hmm. that I aspire to be more like. Yeah. To me, now, man, now I'm a good friend. Now I'm a good mentor. Now I'm a good role model and a leader. Mm -hmm. No, I, I love that because I was talking to, we had lunch right before we came and my partner, Brian was over there asking mm-hmm. me, he goes, Hey, so, I mean, what's your goal? Like what motivates you at this point? Mm-hmm. And I always have a tough time answering that because mm-hmm. I'm so curious and so open to whatever the world wants to present me as an opportunity where I'm like, I don't have like this defined tunnel vision of like this one thing I'm going to do for the next 20 years. Like right. I'm open to whatever God's calling me to do. Mm-hmm. And, but what I did say was, I am super motivated to be the best. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to do it, I want to be the best. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to do podcasting, let's be the best. Mm-hmm. There's there's no point to do it if you're not. That's right. That's how I just perceive everything. If I'm going to go start a media company or mm-hmm. do this, then we're just going to be the best. There's mm-hmm. no other, there's no in between. And what what's important about doing that? I tell my son this all the time in golf, that you need to stop thinking like everybody else, like literally everybody else. So you, when, before we started, we were talking about different people in the space. I'm like, to be honest with you, man, I don't watch, I don't know. I don't yeah. do a lot of that. I, I not, no disrespect to anybody else. I don't, I want to think like me. Yeah. I want to have my own 
elevated thinking. So I don't consume a ton of content. There's two or three people that I'll stuff that I'll watch. And because I don't want to think like everybody else, mm-hmm. because then I'm going to get what everybody else gets. Mm. I want to think like my elite self, my best self. And I, I'm watching you. You said some of what God's going to call you to do. I just want you to know, like, I just, when you said it, I just to say back to you, like, I think there's callings way beyond this for you. I just confirm it. Like I, mm. something hit me when you said it, I'm supposed yeah. to say it. That's the Holy spirit in my yeah. life. I'm supposed to tell you that. And I'm open that. to it too. Like I'm fascinated by what God wants to use and do in my life, use me for and do in my life. And so I have out, very specific outcomes, but I'm open and surrender to his will Yeah, as well. Yeah. Thy will be done, not mm-hmm. mine. Yeah. And so I, I, I think sometimes God laughs at our plans and goes, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. You have no idea there's a hurricane coming in your life, metaphorically or literally. Yeah. We, right? There's supposed to be a hurricane here. Right. There's literally in, yesterday. In SoCal. <laughs> right. Which we all batten down the hatches. It never happened. But, but so I have specific outcomes, but I'm also open to where God wants to take me in my life. Yeah. You know, when you read the Bible, it's funny because there, there's verses where it talks about how, you know, the rich men create all these plans and everything yes. else. And it's just, it's, it's foolish because. Yep. At the end of the day, God can change him in an instant. He does, but at the same time, he wants us to have a dire- sense of direction. Right. He wants us to be prayerful about that direction. He wants us to have God. This is my opinion, by the way. I'm yeah. speaking like I know, but this is my opinion. I don't know, but my opinion is that. But at the same time, I've had enough. Some of the greatest blessings in my life have been doors closed, not open. Mm. That they've been things I thought I really, really, really wanted, and then they didn't happen. I thought, what a tragic loss this was that it didn't take place. And those were absolute protection. Yes. Some yes. of those doors closing opened up other ones. I'm like, oh, I never even thought about walking through that one. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord. Yes. I'll step in here with some faith, but also the work. Like faith without works is dead. Yep. James. So I'm, yeah, I'm stepping in there, planting seeds. One of my favorite parables in the Bible is the parable of the sower. Mm-hmm. And I don't use it like everybody else uses it. I'm allowed to take my own meaning from it. Yeah. But my version of it is that you can plant all these seeds and in your life, that's the work that we put in and the dreams and the hopes and the plans. Birds are going to get some of it. The wind's going to get some of it. The weather's going to get some of it. But at some point, if you plant enough seeds in your life, that there becomes a harvest. Yes. And I know there's a harvest. I just don't know which version of it he has in store for me. Mm-hmm. So my job's to plant the seeds. My yeah. job's to do the work. My job's to care. My job's to improve and grow and grind. And then I'll let take him take care of the harvest, whatever that looks like. Yep. Could be on this earth. Could be That's later right. on down the road. Amen. So let's talk about your faith journey. You know, okay. one thing that we were talking about pre-show was, you know, there's not a lot of entrepreneurs on social media that are really public about faith. Mm-hmm. Um there's a lot of great Christian business owners, you know, worldwide, you know, sure. Chick-fil-A's and all these things, mm-hmm. but they don't have influence mm-hmm. on social media. Mm-hmm. So I've noticed for you, you've started to become more open with your faith, mm-hmm. as have I. What's what's led to that? More comfortable with myself. Um, used to be hesitant because I'm such a zoo, <laughs> right? Like, like uh, I'm sinner saved by the grace of God. Yeah. So I used to think, well, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I probably should just shut my mouth. Yeah. And I realized that uh, we all are. And then I got to give myself some grace. Mm-hmm. And it also like what a liar I would be to get this far in my life and to say, I have all the answers for you. Here's my technique. Here's my strategy. Here's how I speak. Here's how I communicate. Here's how I market. Here's how I scale and leave out the main thing. <laughs> yeah. I just wouldn't be honest. And so I reached the conclusion in my life, I'm a hard working dude. I'm a pretty talented dude. I'm pretty good, but I ain't this good. 
Mm-hmm. There's some force blessing me. There's something greater than me that's got their hand on my life. And for me, that's Jesus Christ. And that's the Holy Spirit's guided me. Yep. My faith gives me more than anything comfort and safety. And a guy that worries like me, I need that. Yeah. And I need, I, I pray on my knees every night. I do it on my knees. I was raised Catholic. So that's okay. one reason. But one of the reasons that I pray on my knees is it reminds me of how small I am. And usually what I always do is I just, I just literally turn over my cares, my concerns to the Lord. I just give it to him Mm -hmm. and I just get up the next day and do the work. And so I also try to be, when I'm talking about my faith, it was the hardest chapter in my book to write because also I believe in energy. I believe in the quantum field. I just believe there's a uh, almighty God that created it. Yep. So I know about, I, we're having a vibrational frequency right now. The reason we like each other, we both vibrated a similar frequency, right? So yep. you feel energy and you know that that's true. I also don't want to shove it in someone's throat where it's repelling or for them to think, I think I know something you don't know. Mm-hmm. A lot of religious people have that judgment or that assessment. Like I know some stuff. My God's the real God. <laughs> yeah. You got the fake one. Well, even Christians. Yeah. Christians do it all the time. It's who I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Every person of faith does it. Yeah. I don't want any of that. Well, I'm saying even denominational oh yeah that's not the real doctrine yeah. you know yeah, yeah. you have a lutheran dude tell you that the catholic doctrine's wrong or the catholic dude the methodist or whatever people say i go to a bible-based church okay what exactly does that mean right? <laughs> i think most churches think they're bible-based so whatever yeah. all that stuff the bottom line is that in my life what i would challenge somebody to do is just pursue there's a part of your heart that wants to know why you're here Mm-hmm. There's a part of your spirit that's like, does this matter? Do I matter? Is there a purpose to this life? Here's yeah. all I would say to you. Pursue that question. Mm-hmm. Try to answer it. I can tell you my answer has been my Christian faith. You're entitled to your own answer. Yep. And so I just really pursue people to pursue that question. It's the question going on in the back of your mind all the time and in your heart that's whispering to you, whether you're aware of it or not, and you know I'm right. Yeah. And so all I would say is like, pursue it. Yeah your version of it. I can only share with you what my conclusions have become. And one thing that Erwin McManus said to me about his Christian walk is he said, all the other faiths I studied were about what I needed to do to get to God. Mm. And that was great. And he said, in my Christian faith, it was all about what Jesus did to get to me. Mm. And it hit me sitting, I'm sitting right where you're sitting. And he was sitting right where I'm sitting when he said it. And I will never forget it when he said that. And it made an impact on me. And so just pursue that question and try to find your own answer. I found mine. I hope you find yours. Yeah. I always tell people, I've said it on the show a few times, like as business owners, you know, we're trying to create plans, like you Mm -hmm. said. And whenever you're creating a plan, you always think with the end in mind and you reverse engineer. Mm -hmm. And I go, well, what's the the number one guarantee of life? You know, there's not any guarantee that you're going to be healthy or you're going to make money Mm -hmm. or you're going to have a good family. The only guarantee is you die. Mm-hmm. That is the one guarantee. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that and knowing that you're dead way longer than you're alive, mm-hmm. the number one question you need to answer is what happens after. That's right. And yeah. if people don't think about that, which I get it, it's hard to think about, mm-hmm. you're you're inevitably already creating a plan and a life that is destined to fail because you're not solving for the most important question. Yeah. By the way, most people act like they're never going to die. <laughs> yeah. Hilarious? It's like, you know, you're going to die. Yeah. Why don't you just face it? And by the way, I think about death a lot. And what I find is it's liberating. It makes me be fully present now because if you're going to live forever, what's today matter? Right. But, but if you're, if you're on a limited time ride, then today is really precious. And yeah. It's blessed. I'll tell you a secret. 
I've only said this once in public. When my dad died, I was with him. Um, literally with my father when he took his last breath. And after he passed away, my mom wasn't really comfortable being in the room with his body and neither were my sisters. And so I was in the room maybe like an hour, hour and a half with my dad's after he had passed away, waiting for the hearse to arrive. Mm. And it dawned on me that when I was there with my dad, sorry, I was there with my dad. It wasn't my dad anymore. Who my dad was, was gone. His body was still there, but it was very clear to me that my, my father was gone. First time since I've been alive, my dad was gone. And so what's that mean? It means my dad's not his body because his body was still there. It means you're not your body. My dad's awards were right up on the shelf. That wasn't my dad. We were in my dad's house. So his accumulations weren't my dad. So then who is he and who are you? You're a soul. Mm -hmm. You're a spirit. My dad had left and I know he's in heaven. And so it was profound for me. It was the most defining moment of my life because I went, I'm not my accumulations. I'm not my houses. I'm not my awards. I'm not my accolades. Who am I? Mm -hmm. I'm a spirit. I'm a man. I'm a soul. I'm an energy. I'm a force. And for me, I'm a child of God. And so I want to accumulate things. I want to achieve things because I was put here to make a difference. So were you. I want to see God's power in my life and what I can achieve and where I can go and what I can experience to your point. But at the end of the day, you can't take it with you, but you can leave it here. Mm -hmm. What did my dad leave here? He left me. He left his children. He left his beautiful wife. He left the thousands of people that he helped get sober once he got sober. So you leave something here. So what I would focus on in your life is that you are a soul and your spirit. You can't take all these things with you, but what do you want to leave here? And my dad lived a beautiful life. He left something incredible here. He didn't leave his mistakes when he was young. He left his achievements and his accomplishments, which was his children mm -hmm. and the millions of thousands of people in my dad's case that he helped. And so you can leave something here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough for people to think about. And I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing mm -hmm. that um, because at the end of the day, I think we try to just do all these things to pass time we do. and like forget mm -hmm. about what's actually coming. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I said, for anybody out there, it's like, that's the most important question to solve for. It is. And by the way, let me be really clear. You can do both. Yeah. You can kick ass and go to Cabo and drink some tequila and you can fly on a private jet. He made this beautiful ocean. I might as well sit next to it, right? So you can have all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it's not what you're going to leave here. So mm -hmm. what do you want to leave here? And who are you really? And, and the truth is one feeds the other. Yeah. That's what I said earlier. One feeds the other. So this isn't one of these, none of this stuff matters. You bet your ass it matters. Mm -hmm. You were put here to see what you're capable of. You were put here to make a difference. Yeah. You were put here to change the way your family. Look, I say this all the time. You've heard me say this. And every family, if you meet a rich family, and I got a rich family now. Yep. But I don't come from one. I don't come from one. When you see a really rich family or a really happy family, just remember this. Somewhere back in their lineage, they weren't rich. Yeah. Or they weren't happy until one thing happens. The one shows up. The one in every family. If you see a rich family, eventually there's one person who changes it. You see a happy family, one person changes it. In my freaking family, I'm the one. 
Mm. I'm the one in this family. I'm the one. I took all the late nights, all the hits, all the stress, all the worry. I'm the one who grew. I'm the one who went to the events. I'm the one who read the books. I'm the one who did the meeting after the meeting, after the meeting, after the meeting, after the meeting, after the meeting. I'm the one who did all that stuff. I'm the one who worked on myself. I'm the one in my family. And now, you know what? I do have a rich family and I do have a happy family. And if you're listening to this, maybe you were born to be the one. Maybe the whole reason you're here is what you're going to leave behind is a totally different lineage in your family. A totally different lineage where you were the one that everyone looks back on someday and goes, that was my uncle so-and-so. That was my grandfather. That was my grandmother. Mm-hmm. She changed our family forever. Yep. And maybe that's why you were here. I know in my case, that's why I'm here. You got me fired up. It's true. To go make more people the one. Yes. And I know you talked about it in your book too, mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, the book is The Power of One More. The Power of One More. Yep. yep. So go check it on Amazon, guys. Yep. So the way you became the one mm-hmm. was you know, baseball didn't work out. You get into this insurance business. Yes. What led you there? How did that play out? It's totally by fluke. You know what I found out in your life before I answer you? Most of the dreams in your life will show up in packages and look away that you never pictured them. Even if you picture like whoever you're, if you're married right now, you love them. They probably make you feel like you hoped, but they might not look exactly like the one that you dreamed up. If you'd have told me when I was in college playing baseball that I would end up in the damn insurance business, <laughs> are you out of your mind? Like, I don't like insurance. I don't like, I'm not good at math. I never wanted to be in sales. In fact, here's how stupid I am. I was the life insurance business. Now, I'm not kidding you. When they recruited me, I did not know there was such a thing. I thought the only insurance you had was auto. Mm. So I thought it was auto insurance. I did not even know. What happened was my best friend, my best friend growing up, Jason Adams, his dad had left his career at JC Penney's mm. as a store manager and had got into this business. And part of that business is you recruit people. And his dad had invited my dad to come take a look at that business like five years before my dad came back and went, oh gosh, total scam, yeah, lame, not a real business, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I get called, but I don't tell my dad I'm going. I don't know my dad had gone. So I go down to the meeting and I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. It's competitive. It helps people. And I come back, my dad goes, oh, come on. Are you crazy? You got a college degree. You didn't go to college all those years to do this crap. I said, I think I did, dad. I think I did. And so I really got into the business, truthfully, because I had nothing else to do. Mm. I was working at a group home, an orphanage, and I loved what I was doing. I thought, I'm going to work at this orphanage the rest of my life. My dad had come home from an AA meeting. He got sober and got me a job at an orphanage. And I loved working with these young boys. They reminded me as a kid of what my childhood was like. But at the time, I'm old, man. I was making $5.60 an hour with my college degree. And I'm like, Dad, I think I could work at the orphanage forever and build this insurance business on the side. I don't have to quit my job. And it turned into something that obviously was much bigger than that and ended yeah. up being a, you know, an eight-figure income for me. So Wow. Yeah. So how many years were you in the insurance biz just building everything out? I don't think I'm not in it. I mean, I still consult and I still you know do a little bit, but that's a good question. Uh, it took me 10 years to really build something of any real magnitude. And I would say that I was fully involved, fully engaged with really laser focused on it for 15 to 20 years. Mm. And I love every aspect of it. I love the helping people. I love the recruiting process. I love the sales process. I love, um, I love the rejection. Mm. It's where I learned to do public speaking. Yep. So all of it was something that I, I, I really enjoyed doing. I, I could tell you that I don't believe I would be sitting here today without it. Yeah. No doubt in my mind. Yeah. You know, what's crazy is 
I never knew insurance was so lucrative. lucrative. And then all of a sudden, as I got into this entrepreneur game, I started like seeing guys like you and mm-hmm. Patrick Beddave. And I'm like, how did they make their money? Like, I don't even know what they, like they, mm-hmm. they talk about all these concepts, but what was their business? Mm-hmm. And then I learned it was insurance. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy crap, like really? I do think that you're right that, you know, a lot of my wealthiest friends made their money in real estate or insurance yep. or both. And so real estate is the sexy one to talk about online. Yeah. Everybody likes to talk about that. Insurance, it's still got this, oh dude, insurance, yeah. really? But the truth of the matter is there's a lot of people that have made a lot of money in that industry. I think somewhere recently it was ranked as the number one industry to build wealth in, I think. And so it's a, it's a, there's a need in it. There's a growing need. That industry, by the way, is very old. So more and more young people getting involved is good for the industry. I think I read the other day, the average agent is like 61 years old. Wow. And so there's a real opportunity for young people in that business. And it's something that people should explore or look at at least. I mean, you should know all your options. How do people get rich? You get rich in real estate. You can get rich in, you know, lots of businesses. But one of them certainly is insurance. No question. Yeah. So would you say you were making all your active income from insurance and you just started buying real estate? as that kept going. Yeah. And then I started doing other businesses too, but yes, that's a, it's a great cash flow machine because insurance can pay you upfront. It also pays you renewal income. Mm. Um, you can build a team, which means you can get override income if you do that. So there's a lot of elements to insurance that are attractive. The biggest thing at insurance is just doing it ethically Yeah, because there's a lot of ways as an agent to take advantage of people unbeknownst to them. Yeah. And but if you're going to last long term in any business, you better operate ethically and morally to the best of your ability, because eventually people figure out, mm-hmm. you know, you're not having their best interest in mind. So one of the things I am proud of is I've been in business, the different businesses I've had for decades and decades and decades. And by and large, I feel really good about how I've treated other people. And, you know, look, you you do anything for 30 years, years, things you wish you'd take back that you said or did. Yeah probably a lot in my case. Yeah. Especially when I was young. Yeah. But I know what my intent was. Yeah. I know what my heart was in any business I've ever had. So I feel feel good about that. And yeah, the insurance business is I don't get asked about it a lot because I've built so many other businesses since. Yeah. And I've been able to build wealth in other businesses, but if you take that business away, mm, the other I'm, stuff doesn't happen. I doubt I'm not I bet I'm not sitting here. Yeah. Yeah. How do you This is something I've struggled with is you know, when you go through a regret or a failed business or something and people are pissed at you and Mm -hmm. all these things, especially too, when you're talking about faith and people immediately, you have a target on your back. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with all that? Man, I regrets hard for me. Um, I never want to hurt other people and I have, you know what I mean? Like you hit on the sensitive area for me. By the way, great interview. (laughs) Thank you. Um, I'm the type of person that it doesn't seem like it because I've got some muscles and I'm intense and I can raise my voice. But like if I've done something where I've like hurt you or we're in strife, it just bugs me to a level that I can't even express to you. And it, it debilitates me. And I almost I almost have to fix it. Mm-hmm. So um, what I've always focused on, I met Wayne Dyer when I was young. Do you know who Wayne no. is? No. Okay. Wayne Dyer is one of the godfathers of personal development thought leaders. So there was Tony Robbins, who everybody knows. Yep. But right there for a long time was Wayne Dyer. He had more of like a spiritual approach. But I was on my first incentive trip for the insurance business. Okay. I won. We won a trip to Maui <laughs> at the Ritz-Carlton. And I was broke. I didn't have enough money to even eat at this Ritz-Carlton. I remember it. But back in those days, no one worked out. I was like the only dude who worked out. So like back then. <laughs> like now every entrepreneur is fit. But back then, I was like one of the only ones. 
So I went for a run early in the morning. It was like 5 a.m. in the fog. I'm wearing a Sony Walkman. That's how old I am. And as I'm running back to the hotel, this other dude's running towards me. Bald dude, hairy back. And I'm like, the last thing I want to do is bump this sweaty dude on the beach. As he gets closer, it's Wayne Dyer. Okay. One of my heroes. Yeah. It'd be like you running into whoever, me yep. or Grant or whatever, yep. whoever, whoever hero is. And um, he runs away. I go, Dr. Dyer. And he pulls his Walkman off. And I go, you changed my life. And he goes, I doubt that. <laughs> but how did I help you? And he walks towards me and we end up sitting on the beach together. And I watched the sun come up with one of my heroes for about an hour and a half. Wow. It's amazing. At the end of that conversation, we became lifelong friends. Mm. At the end of that conversation, he said, Ed, he had a deep voice like mine. I love Dwayne's voice. He goes, I think you're going to change the world. And it's not just this, what you're doing right now. There's bigger and better for you. And he goes, and it's not because of how brilliant you are. And it's not because of your unbelievable ability to communicate. He goes, would you do me a favor? I said, yes, sir. He said, never attach your self-worth to your ability. I went, I thought that's exactly what I'm supposed to do. He goes, oh, you'll always be chasing that tail. He goes, Ed, you're going to change the world because of your incredible intentions. Mm. You have an incredible heart combined with your ability. He goes, but man, always attach your confidence to your intentions because you're always going to intend to do right. I know that about you. And then he became my mentor for a very long time. So when I have made a mistake, I always go back to my intent. Yeah. I've always been a pretty good kid, a good man. So if I make a mistake, I'll, I'll literally say, forgive me. I'm very sorry. It wasn't my intentions. I don't want to ever hurt you. I didn't mean to mislead you or screw you or whatever I did here. Please forgive me. I'll make better next time. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that. I wish in our, our society, especially in politics, more politicians said, I got it wrong. I'm sorry. My intentions were right. I just called the wrong shot here. I'll get it better next time. I wish more CEOs and business leaders said, hey, guys, I lost my temper there or I made the wrong decision. My bad. Uh, my intentions were right, but I'm going to get it better next time. Man, I'd follow you through a, a fire. If someone was like that. So when I have made mistakes, I've tried to focus on my intent and remind myself of my intentions. By the way, he was writing a book at that time called The Power of Intention. Mm. So it was on his mind. But my confidence, like before I speak, it's not, I'm the best speaker in the world, even if I might be. Yeah. Right. It's my intention with the crowd. My intention is to serve. My intention is to make a difference. And it gives me tremendous confidence as opposed to, I'm this amazing speaker. <laughs> it's more my intent. So yeah. I'm a big, I'm a big believer of everyone listening to this, starting to focus more on your intent for confidence and your intent when you have regret or make a mistake. Mm, that's actually my one word for the year. Intentionality. Are you serious? Yep. Just wow. because up to this point, wow. I, I've kind of just, I, I don't want to say I'm the opposite of you. Mm -hmm. Like I, I kind of just show up and I rely on talent to mm -hmm. get things done. You do. And it's worked out pretty good. Yep. But I know that, to reach the next level, I have yeah. to be more intentional yep. with preparation, with decision making, with planning. Yep. And can I give you some feedback? Yeah. Okay. I'll keep this in the show because it's really true. Okay. As I've been watching you today, I'm like, this is a real raw, talented man because I know you didn't do a lot of it. Now you've prepped because you followed me and know me. You, with a little bit more intentional focus and preparation, you're going to be a monster. You're going to be a killer in this space because I have it too. I can I can just roll it out, bro. I can mm -hmm. walk up into a talk and I'm going to blow most people off the stage just like that yeah. with my ability to do it and my experience doing it. But I have a higher calling than that. My calling is to be the goat mm -hmm. at whatever I do. And I mean, more than anything, it's the goat of me. 
I want to be the greatest of all time, Ed Milet, right now. I want this guy right here sitting here to be the best Ed Milet that's ever showed up before. Hmm. That best Ed Milet, I'm pretty confident, is better than what anybody else is going to do, right? But even if it's not, I can control that. And so I owe me my preparation. Hmm. I owe me that. And you are a massive talent. Like, you're, I told you before, I said, if you off camera, what I say, you always been like this? Yeah. You always been this good of a communicator? You always been this talented? That's, I don't say that to everybody. Like, you, you have the goods. I mean, you know that you're already very successful. You have a real high degree of humility, by the way, which I love about you for someone who's accomplished a lot. Your house isn't 10% of mine. Like you said mm-hmm. earlier, I'm sure it's much more than that. You've done an awful lot, man. And so it's now that next level for you is like, I'm going to out prepare everybody in whatever I do. Mm-hmm. And then bro, you, you, no one can touch you. No, I appreciate the feedback. It, you know, you, you've given me a lot of uh confirmation mm-hmm. this interview. Good. You know, just with things we were talking about with faith, with preparation, mm-hmm. with, you know, what happens next to get to the next stage. Mm-hmm. And that it, next stage is rarefied air, bro. You're against the killers. Yeah. So get to where you are. You can get way on talent. Yeah. At anything in business. You get to listen. You take a look at, I just had Dan Hurley on the coach of uh, UConn basketball national champs. He's on my show. Mm-hmm. He's like, bro, I'm up against killers. <laughs> I mean, you think about the guys all time, the Woodens, the Shashevskys, the Dean Smiths, like talking about killers, man. You get my fighters that I work with that, you know, the UFC guys I work with at that level a Michael Chandler, man, he's a friend of mine. He's in against killers, man. He's going against Poirier, Gaethje, Oliveira. Like if you're, you, these dudes are killers at every level in business, man, I'm up against, I'm, I'm at that, whatever I'm worth, 500 million, whatever the heck it is I'm worth. I don't even know, right? <laughs> but I'm up against some killers, bro. You want to get to a billion dollar net worth or whatever it is like, dude, you can't wing it. Yeah. I can't wing this. I have millions of people who follow me. They're depending on me to be not winging anything, mm-hmm. to really be growing, really be researching, really. I got a family depending on me, man. I'm the example to my whole family. They're not going to get a 97% version of me. Mm. They're going to see me grow and improve. And man, I get so frustrated with people who don't grow and improve. It's like never in the history of the world has there been more information, more access to people Back in the day, if I find a dude worth 500 million who would tell me what to do, are you yeah. kidding me? You couldn't find this dude. Yeah. He lived behind a gate somewhere, bro, yeah. with like a massive security team. I'm on Instagram every day. <laughs> I got a podcast that comes out twice a week. Like, yeah. bro, come on. Like, the, yeah. the hardest thing in this space is how to discern between who's legit mm. and who isn't. That's the tough one, man. Like, how do you know everyone sounds right? Everyone's got the same camera crew and the same curated videos. How do you know? And one of the ways you know, come to their house. <laughs> That's how you know. Yeah. Come to their house. Like the events that Andy Fursell and I do. Yeah. Some of these dudes are like rented houses. We come to our own houses, man. Like I live here. <laughs> yeah. There's no mortgage on this place. You come to my <laughs> you house, there's no that. mortgage. Right? Yeah. Like my plane, there's no payment. Like, hello, when I had my plane. Like you, you have to actually break it down. And it doesn't mean, by the way, it doesn't mean that someone who hasn't accomplished something doesn't have value. They Mm -hmm. have value, but certainly someone who's done it has probably more value. Yeah. Like if I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to get fit, I don't want my trainer to be 80 pounds overweight Mm -hmm. telling me to do stuff he's never done before. Right. I want to look at this dude and go, I want to, I want to be aspire, aspirational to be like this dude. And in business and entrepreneurship, I think you kind of would follow someone who's real. Yeah. And that's, you could do a little extra digging, but to me, that's, it's one of the hard parts of this day. The best part of this day and age, you get access to everybody. Right. Hard part is I can't listen to 80 different people. 
Who do I listen to? And you got to pick two or three and listen to them. Yeah. You know, one thing I was telling the team before we came up was 100% better preparation, mm-hmm. understanding and preparing for episodes mm-hmm. is the first thing. Second thing, and I told them, and I'd love to hear your feedback was, I go, you know what, though? At the end of the day, to really grow to the next level, I just have to get better at business. Mm-hmm. Like the more my business and my own credibility and status elevates, correct. the more people will listen. Nailed it. That's correct. And by the way, I think you're doing well. And I don't want to this about you, but there is a there at some point it's pretty easy just to go see what I did, see what I did, see what I did. To me, that makes building a following much easier than the the monkey show just getting good at talking or hooks yeah. or all that right. stuff I mean, you g- talking and all that stuff bro come on you're outstanding and you also i asked you before we started i was vetting you and maybe don't, people don't know so tell me about your businesses yeah didn't i ask you that yep i'm acting like i'm just being casual i'm not being casual I'm like what's this kid got yeah what's he got and you told me about the different businesses that you have and how you scaled them and one of them you're acquiring and blah 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 i'm like well this dude's got a lot of things he's doing one thing i like about that is you're not just going to be a one-trick pony which is just real estate or just coaching or just podcasting by the way and one thing on podcasting too that needs a free flow like this too i prepare but then i let the conversation go where it's supposed to go because the best ones are like i didn't think we we're going to go there yeah so i don't want to control too much but I want to know enough when I'm preparing, like you do about me, you you know plenty, um, that it can flow where I where I think the best places are though. Yeah. yeah. The way the way I look at it is kind of like, you know, you go into a game, a baseball mm-hmm. game. You know what the pitcher throws, you know yeah. about, but come game time. That's right. You gotta react. Yeah, whatever yeah. happens happens. That's right. You don't know what he's gonna I mean the bottom line is if it's two and two, you don't get to choose, man. If it's a slider <laughs> low and in and it's over the plate, you gotta swing. Yeah. So there's just there's an element of just reacting and preparing but by the way you prepared with batting practice you prepared with your stretching you prepared with your weightlifting so there's other forms of preparation for letting it go right so what would you say about many different businesses Mm because we talk you know i told you i got a lot going on Mm -hmm. you started many other businesses outside Mm -hmm. of insurance and a lot of people have told me hey focus on one thing you should just be a real estate guy well in general my general belief and i think you already did this but my general belief is to make your first few million you should probably do it in one business and get really good at it yeah and the reason i believe that is that you're competing against people in your industry who that is their only business right so if you're part-time at something and i'm full-time at something i'm probably going to kick your ass right so i do think to get a few million dollars under your belt you should crush one business like i did in the insurance business once you're there then you can choose the truth is Had I never left the insurance business, I may actually be as wealthy as I am now because that business is scalable to massive wealth, right? But a lot of you are in businesses that aren't scalable past a certain threshold. And if that's true for you, then you do need to diversify your income into multiple streams. But this notion that millionaires have multiple streams of income is a fact that's not true. (laughs) It's a fact that they have multiple streams of income, but it's not true that they became millionaires that way. Right. Most millionaires made their first million in one business and then have multiple streams of income. Yeah. And I think that's what you've done. You've already got your first million under your belt, millions. Now you're diversifying. Yeah. And I just, to your point, I realized, okay, flipping houses may be my first few millions. And I'm like- It's not scalable to 300 million. Yeah. I'm like, this is it. Right. what, What else can you do beyond this? Correct. And that's the thing you have to ask yourself. How scalable is your business? The one thing on insurance is you can scale that to hundreds of millions. What do you think about insurance with that? You joined a company, right? And a lot of us, myself included, like Mm -hmm. when I was a realtor, people were like, join EXP, build a team and all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't want to build someone else's thing. I don't 
like control that? Like, what if they take it away tomorrow? Right. I don't own the business. Okay. So you have to join something where you do have some version of ownership. Okay. So in mine, I did own my, what they call our code number. So my actual business, I had control over. That's a really good point. I didn't join like a traditional agency where I was building someone else's agency. Although I was building their agency, I had my code number. And that's, by the way, why I've been able to have different exits and different things as well. So I do agree with what you just said. I think there has to be a version where you own at least what you're building. So I totally agree with that. I had that to the extent that I needed it. I don't think that you're going to get very wealthy building another person's dream. Yeah. Having said that, um, the reason I think getting involved in organizations that give you a hybrid, which is you have control of ownership over what you have, but you're also involved in something bigger is really good yeah. because it gives you an environment to build in. It gives you mentors. It gives you direction. It gives you credibility. It gives you momentum. You know, when I was 21 years old, if I walked in with Ed Milet Insurance, are you going to buy life insurance? <laughs> like, what is this? What's this kid? No, right? Like, well, I'm going to buy insurance from a 21-year-old. So the credibility of the overall organization matters. Um, the mentorship and the environments that you find yourself in, but you better find something that also has an element of ownership as well. Otherwise you're doing exactly what you described. Yeah. So it's a misnomer that I joined something that I didn't have ownership in. I did. Yeah. I remember I was listening to Gary V say something where he was like, you know, in your twenties, you're just like trying things, trying to figure out who you are, your thirties, you know, you, you kind of figured it out and now you're like building and grinding. And then your forties are like where you really hit your prime and start making the real wealth. Would you agree? Yeah. I think that's pretty well said. I mean, I think it's okay if you're a decade behind. <laughs> and if people want to take advantage of my mistakes and wisdom here, they could do it a decade earlier. Yeah. I'd say that's about right. I'd say probably around 40. I guess my kids were hitting that age where they were, you know, grown little people. And I started to, uh, yeah, just reflect a little bit on who am I, you know, and how do I want to treat people? Yeah. And, I, and, you know, listen, I think I treat people pretty well. Yeah. But I was always intentioned to be good, but a little bit more patience, a little bit more discernment, a little less arrogance, a mm. little more humility, you know, and then over time thinking, well, this is more me. I like I like this me better. It's, like it, it's hard to walk that road of being ultra confident mm -hmm. that you're going to go into something and crush it and be a killer because mm -hmm. that's how I I've said it on stage before to our audience. I go, look. If you're not staying in shape and working out, you ain't beating me. Yep. You know, if you ain't putting in the work, you're not going to win. If you're not improving and, and training daily, you just, you're not going to win. Mm -hmm. And so like, I have that mindset of that. I want to kill like a lot and I want to dominate and I want to be the best and yeah. just, I want everyone to know it too. Yeah. But then at the same time, mm -hmm. you have to counteract that with humility. You seem to have that to me, brother. I mean, my favorite people toe that line. Hmm. Super confident people with a dose of humility. And I'll tell you why. The people confident that are confident with no humility, they usually end up burning out, making mistakes, flaming out, and there's a pain in the ass to be around. <laughs> people yeah. with a ton of humility with no confidence, you're dragging them through life all the time and they drain your energy. They're soft. You know, so I'm a little bit of the combination. I try to be a combination of the both. Yeah, you're 100% right. Those are the best humans. Yeah. yeah. So last question, dude. Uh, and dude, I appreciate just everything, man. Thank like you. This has been... An <laughs> it's been my own one-on-one -on -one coaching. So that, that's how I'm treating it. And I'm, I'm ready to go be a killer. Let's go, baby. So one. yeah. So what's next for you, man? I mean, mm. you already got half a billion dollar net worth. Mm. Like obviously the don't podcast, quote me on that. I don't know. It's a lot though. It's a lot. Right. Multiple nine figures, right. right? That's yes. I mean, I can count them just on like this beach Correct. nine figures right, right now. Right. So you can't fake that. Right. Um, like, what motivates you at this level? Because mm -hmm. you, you've achieved so much. Mm -hmm. How do you not get complacent? Yeah, I'm not. I don't know. Uh, what's next for me is I've got a TV show that I'm starting to shoot right now. 
Uh, I'm going to write another book. Um, I'm not complacent because I'm fascinated by uh, who I could become. I'm fascinated by where the world is. The world's at a real interesting place, bro. With AI coming, um, I want to be at the center of transformation in the world. Mm. I've got a lot of opportunities in my life. I don't know what they necessarily will be. There's you know, it could be political, it could be more mm. economic stuff, it could be more stuff in my faith. It seems um, like all, like, Patrick, Grant, mm -hmm. you, like, mm -hmm. politics ends up being that next horizon. Yeah, I've Trump. left, well, I've left, I don't cover a lot of it in my content. And the reason that I don't, people ask me that too. We're going in a lot of places today that I don't usually go, but I'll say is because I just think there's plenty of people doing it. There's plenty mm. of people giving you their view politically in the world. I'm also a real unique political animal in that I have some very left-leaning beliefs. Mm. I was raised in a very liberal home. My grandfather ran a union. Okay. And my dad was a bleeding heart liberal. Same time, I'm rich, <laughs> right? So I have a lot of conservative beliefs in my life and I like small government. So I'm very socially, I guess, liberal, progressive in that sense. And um, yet I'm a person of deep faith. Yeah. And then I also believe in small government and capitalism. Yeah. Um, but there's enough people handling that stuff for the most part. So I speak up when something really bothers me. I speak up when, and I have, I've spoken up about the governor here. I've spoken up about uh, people on both parties. I, I, I am willing to do that when I see something egregious, when the stuff in Afghanistan happened, Ukraine, I've, I've talked about my views on those things, the economy, but there are people that want to spend more of their time doing that than me. Yeah. I want to stay more functioning and improving human beings lives. And I actually believe entrepreneurs are the greatest force for good in the world. Mm. And they could, if they collectively start to really make a move, be more powerful than any political party. Entrepreneurs are the innovators. Entrepreneurs are the people that are progressing society. Entrepreneurs are responsible for AI. Yeah. Entrepreneurs are responsible for all the medical upgrades in our lives and all the innovations and travel and space travel and What's crazy about our times is entrepreneurs are the new celebrities. Yeah, they are. You know, whether you look at myself or these other people you've referenced or the Elon Musk's or the Bezos's and that are at even a different level, they've become entrepreneurship is now this thing that's like, heck, we have an entrepreneur that was the president. Yep. So it's changing, right? So the face of entrepreneurship is a force for good in the world. I want to be at the cutting edge of that. I want to be the cutting edge of human peak performance and people's success and bliss and achievement in their life. Now, if that means I need to be involved in politics to do that, I will do it, but only if I believe there's a space that no one else can fill. Mm. If there's a space no one else can fill in the commentary space, I'll fill it. If someone can't fill it in running for office, maybe I'd fill it. But right now, I'm confident that there are people better than me that can run, and there are people better on than me commenting on it. Yeah, And I'll let those guys have that, and I will speak up when I need to on things that matter. One thing that frustrates me is when people never speak up mm. because they're afraid to offend. Yeah, They're afraid to get canceled. They're afraid they're going to lose some followers. I ain't that guy. Yeah. So when something comes up that's egregious one way or the other, I call it out in my view. But I think that my space is um, with humans. And if that means politics at some point, I'll look at it. I've been asked several times to do different things. I've also prepped different people for debates and whatnot. But I think at this stage of my life, I belong where I am. And I think what's next is just more of what I've been doing on a, a much more grand scale. Mm. I love it. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, open up your home to us, um, you know, coming to speak at WealthCon in October. Uh, I'm excited for it. I'm excited to, you know, build our relationship and Me get too. to know you better and you know, I, I just love what you're doing, especially when it comes to building the kingdom and using your gifts. And 
Dude, it's, it's been awesome, man. Big fan of yours, brother. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Well, guys, hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you subscribe. We'll catch you on the next one. We've done that 3 million to 30 million jump six times now. What are the biggest bottlenecks you see to go from 3 to 30? First off is they're typically missing. You need that in order to get to usually 10 to 15. And then you're going to need that in order to get to 30. The more high quality people we place into enterprises where there's a deficit,